Another edition of the Behind the U podcast. We are joined by the head coach of the University of Miami baseball team, J.D. Arteaga. J.D., how you doing? I'm doing good, Josh. How you doing today? Good. As we are filming this, now you're in the office. I know at the beginning you said, you know, your first couple of meetings you took from your old office, but you've assumed the office, so we're good there, right? We're good. We're good. Getting, getting comfortable here now. Excellent. So I want to start here, J.D. I had no idea. I mean, I knew of your career. I knew you were a pitcher. You enrolled as a walk-on first baseman? I did. I was I was a recruited a recruited walk on. I played first and pitched in high school. I blew up my my knee my senior year. I had ACL reconstruction in uh, right after graduation, so like May June. And uh, when I came in my freshman year, they they talked about redshirting me because I couldn't run and thinking, well, you know, no no scholarship redshirt. They they are gonna cut me, man. I, I, I can I can pitch. Let me try pitching. And I never swung the bat again. Well, you had a standout career. I mean, you guys had loaded teams back then, right? And and you had a you had a standout career. So they couldn't give you no, no scholarship money. To, no, they they couldn't offer you anything. It, it, uh, it is what it is. I mean, I uh, I earned my way on, I guess. So they gave me the opportunity. You started your freshman year pitching right off after the ACL. You, you said, like you said, you, you never turned back. And you had had a super accomplished uh, career at, at Miami. The whole the whole you know four College World Series, the whole deal. How much of that sort of burns inside of you in this role now, right? You, you've talked very openly about the program, wanting to get it back. That term back is used a lot around the University of Miami. How much does that burn inside you in your job now? Well, I, you know, I've always said I've, I was a fan before I was a player, before I was a coach, before I was a job. You know, I was always a fan of the University of Miami. I'm, I'm to this day, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan because the first the first game, football game I ever went to was, was a hurricane game. We couldn't afford to go to Dolphin games. You know, we had that family pass. One ticket got five five people in sitting in the, uh, in the West end zone. So I remember Jim Kelly and I've been a Buffalo fan just you know, because of him. Um, so I was a big fan. So when we lose, it's, it's, it hurts me as a fan, as a player, as a coach, as, as everything. So it means everything to me just to get the university back. Look, the, the game of college baseball has changed, right? Back in the nineties, you know, our success was remarkable, but it was a different game. Probably had the same 12 teams or schools, you know, that were going, it was, it was, it was almost like pick eight out of these 12 schools. It was, it was the same, you know, Group going to Omaha, you know, College World Series every year. Um, now, now you're seeing a lot of mid majors. It's just it's so even. The playing field is so even. I just don't think you're going to see those runs that that we went on the USC's back in the day, and where you're going, you know, seven, eight years in a row, and you know, twelve out of fifteen years. That's just it's a different game. This is more parity. I do want to get our program back to where it's it's we're in national contention every single season. Talk to I mean, I think college athletics has changed, right? I mean, across. A lot of sports. I mean, NIL is obviously a, a massive topic of conversation. Transfer portal, just the, you know, the the investment into the, the into the business of of athletics. But you mentioned the um, sort of the parity and whatnot that's changed the game. What are the things that you have to adapt to as the leader of the program? Yeah, I mean, look in in house. Just you can start with the analytics. You know, the, the, the analytics today in baseball. It's 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 what uh, you know the performance coach was back in you know maybe twelve years ago. And and, and analytics is everything right now. You know, the, the administration has supported us with that and and gave me the the ability, the opportunity to hire two analysts. That that's their job. You know, they they crunch all the numbers and whatever we ask them to do, they they program. And I don't even know what they do. I just ask them for it and they get it done. Um, it's, it's way above my my IQ, I guess, but they, they do a great job, you know, and it's it's just, it's, it's all probability, right? The, the laws of probability and, and what should happen or could happen and give us the best chance to win. And, and it helps so much with the development of our players. We've always had all the equipment, you know, everything we need to win, we've had as far as the cameras and all the systems, but we just haven't had the manpower to run them. And now we're taking full advantage of it. You know, it's something that, that's the biggest change we've done in-house. It's a hard work. What does that provide you? What is it? What, what information are you seeking? Well, it depends on what you're looking at, right? You're looking at our pitches. You're looking at, at angles and spin rates and what pitches are, you know, should he be throwing more often and what area in the zone he should be pitching at. Um, with our hitters, it's it's what they're swinging at. 
what what zones they do the most damage in, you know, so it allows them to, to kind of look for certain pitches, certain certain spots, and kind of give the pitcher a part of the zone, and, and we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of our zone. And then with the, the opponents coming in, which will, that'll start coming into play next week. Um, one of the analysts, his job is is we call it advanced scouting, and he's breaking down. You know, he's working a couple of weeks ahead of us, right? So he's done with New Jersey Tech. He was done a couple of weeks ago. He's moving on to you know Long Island and and Florida and Florida State, Virginia. He's working on those guys already. So we come into the office Tuesday morning, a week of, I mean, the reports there, and we can use all week to prepare for who we're, you know whoever we're, we're playing. I'm um, in the past, you know, I was the one breaking down the hitters or hitting coaches breaking down the opponents' pitchers, and you know we got a lot on our plate, man. We weren't done till Thursday night for the game, and but we already spent the whole week preparing for where we're playing, and we haven't really prepared on what we need to work on. So it uh, it just gets us a head start on what we need to work on. So. Now, uh, we're about the same age, so I'm fully aware of analytics numbers, all that kind of stuff. But humor me for a second, right? You were a pitcher, you know, high school, college, in, in into the pros. You've coached this position without the analytics. So how much still, even if you have the numbers, right, there's certainly, if you're the pitcher on the mound, right, there, there's a certain sense of just owning the moment outside of the analytics. That's still a part of, a huge part of success, No. Yeah, I mean, look, the human, you can't take the human element out of it, right? I mean, the numbers could tell you something, but third baseman just got in a fight with his girlfriend this morning. He's probably not going to perform <laughs> the numbers say he should perform at. So you got you got to you got to play the human being as well. But it's no different, right? Uh, it's it's the information that we get now from analytics is instant. So it might have taken me or any pitching coach, you know, watching a pitcher fail, trying to do something, you know, X amount of times before you learn your lesson. All right, don't throw that pitcher. Don't, don't pitch in this, in this zone. This is just you go through a bullpen and you kind of you know what kind of pitcher he is and where he's going to be most successful at. So it's just a learning curve, but it's it's no different. It's just instant information where you know, you kind of learned the hard way before back, you know, 20 years ago when I started. Now it's 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 just it's, it's get the information right there in your fingertips and, and you got more to do with it. I imagine the other part of this before we move on, J.D., is not only the information you have, but how you relate it to the kids. Well, the, the funny thing is they're they're more advanced than we are. Really? Yeah, because, they, you know, all these kids come up now and they're going to, to pitching coaches or hitting coaches and, and it's all numbers, right? And it's like my vertical break is this and horizontal. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, do you throw strikes or not? That's kind of you know, that's what it was back. Um, so you, it's actually us learning their language, you know, because they, they, they're, I don't know if you have, you know, kids, young kids, but they probably help you with your, your computer stuff. You know. Oh, no, no, no. I do. I got a 14 and 12 and, and my 12 year old's probably a little more advanced technically. Like if I'm, ha he just takes the, he was using the remote at like age three, the remote for the TV at age three. If I'm having a problem, he's like that. Just, just give it to me. Like he gets easily frustrated with my, and I'm fairly, I mean, I'm good, but he, it's just second nature to them. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's, so it's it's their language, right? We're we're learning their language. It's, it's more our job to get them back into the hey, the pitching, right? Because one thing is throwing in a in a bullpen and making the you know again your breaking ball break twenty four inches. Well, that's fantastic. Can you throw for a strike? Can you throw it on a three two count? Can you throw in state when the stadium's full and there's pressure? To well, that's that's the part I was getting to before about the um analogizing it to when you played, right? It was like at the end of the day, you can have all the information, but in the moment, pitcher X is still on the mound, facing the batter, ahead in the count, behind the count, how many runners are on. It, he has to manage the moment himself. And that's something that is that intangible that I'm sure you look for in a lot of players that look at the end of the day, he can have all the information. They still got to execute. They still got to perform. A hundred percent. It still comes down to the human being. I mean, you, you got to go out there and, and get the job done when, when, when it's needed most, you know, that's never going to change. You know, back in the day, I remember, you know, watching guys pitch and, and they're like throwing fastballs right down the middle at 88, 90, and, and, and they wouldn't get hit. I'm like, what? Throwing invisibles. Like, how do they not hit that? You know, now we know why, right? You got the spin rates and the angles that, and, and it's really something you can't teach. It's, 
So for recruiting, it helps out a lot. Those gives you some numbers of things that you would have to go see a kid pitch multiple, multiple times before you realize, okay, this guy's going to get out. You know, even if he doesn't throw 95, he's going to get out. Um, this, this is some information that's really, really helpful and useful in that aspect. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. The motto, Omaha or bust. It's been yeah, there are a couple other baseball guys, former baseball guys have been on this podcast. It's been uttered. You are familiar with that. You were a part of creating that in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it was, you know, it's funny when I was going through the interview process, the last question everybody asked me, I think I met with like six or seven different you know, individuals that first day. And the last question was the same one as like, you know, any hesitation to accepting and taking the job. And my answer was always no. And then finally, the last the last interview with Rudy Fernandez, I was like, I go, man, everybody keeps asking me that. What, what possible? <laughs> reason would I not want this job or anyone not, not want this job? And he says, well, this, there's a lot of pressure that comes a lot of, with it and expectations. And I said, man, I, I get it. I, I help create that, you know, and that's, that's really what I love about this job. You know, those expectations, man, that's, that's what gets you up in the morning and, and fuels a fire to go out and get better every day and, and, and put your best product out in the field and win as many games as possible. And yeah, it, it is Omaha robust. You know, to my mind, it's, you get to Omaha, it's a, it's a good season, not a great one. We've had, we've had four great seasons here in Miami, you know, 82, 85, 99 and 01. The other one, we had some good seasons going on, about 25 other you know, good seasons. The rest were just, just okay. You know, some better than others, but it's Omaha or nothing. You said there's been investments in the program, right? The analytics, the sports science, staffing, et cetera. And that helps make the job probably more efficient, I would imagine, right? And as we've talked about, you're more informed more easily. Uh, but to accomplish that goal, as you dig in, what's like your macro view of like, these are the things we're going to do to allow us to accomplish the ultimate? Well, we'll start with just writing a lineup. I'm writing out my first lineup tonight. <laughs> I think I've written like four or five of them already and thrown them all away. So I can't, I'm trying to figure it out. But there's so many small pieces that that add up to success, man. It's it's. I don't think this podcast is long enough to go through everything. No, it could but, it could be probably not today because I know you got something to do after. We probably could do it because I'm a, I'm a long winded and, and inquisitive, curious guy. But I know there is a deadline us on us today. But I was just I was just was more curious about sort of like I mean you've lived it right. You've you've lived this school you've lived being there falling short you know you've lived it all so obviously you have your own vision of, of what you want it to be um maybe you could just share a little bit of of that i think the attitude and it's, and it's amazing we, you know when we play like we knew we were going home it, it didn't it wasn't like if we match up against these guys it didn't matter who was playing against us. It didn't matter who was in that other dugout. Again, we didn't have all the information we had we have today, but it didn't matter. Might have been better off. <laughs> it might have been. Again, you know, and I tell our team, I, we just got went over this with the team yesterday. It doesn't matter who's in the box. It doesn't matter who you're facing. It doesn't matter what what they want to do. You do what we want to do, and do, we do our job. No one's going to beat us. And that's the mentality. It's just we used to leave Omaha. It's a crazy story, but we used to leave Omaha and we'd make reservations for the next year. Same same weekend, you know, and that was it was you know we were that sure that we were going to go back. I can't even explain it. It wasn't even a thought of what if we don't, you know. It's it was what it was. So 
And you go back to those years and so many things kind of went our way. Baseball is a unique sport that way, right? You could have the best team and, you know, a guy goes five innings instead of seven, right? And the way that I guess the College World Series is set up now, that more right things need to happen. But so attitude is one. I'm sure, obviously, you could talk to any coach. Players is two, right? I mean, just having talent, talented players, you could anybody could say what they want. You got to have a good team. You, you got to have talented players and the right players. Not, not always the best players, but the right players. But it, it, it absolutely starts with them. You know, it's it's a player-run organization, man. I think the best teams we've ever had are, are the teams that the players policed themselves and kind of coached themselves and kept each other in line and, and held each other accountable, right? When your peers tell you something, you, you tend to listen more than, you know, your coach or your boss. It's like... So how do you do that? How do you find those? It's, it's the most interesting thing to me, J.D. It could be in life. It could be in sport, right? You're hiring anyone. Any hiring process, anyone can say the right things, right? So how do you find not the best guys, but the right guys? And what do you look for? What do you want now that you're in charge? Those guys are getting harder and harder to find, right? Just because in, in the generation now, it's, it's, there's no communication, you know, and, and it's, it's, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. There is, you asked me about my kids. There is communication, JD. It's yes, okay. I mean, they, they type in uh, like code. It's like LMK, let me know. Or they, they t you know, all those little, like everything shorter and briefer to the point I'm like, what are you even saying to me? I don't understand this, son. Please, you know, extrapolate. Yeah, so, so imagine they grew up 18 years communicating that way. And then you put them in an in a, in a, in a environment where you got 34 other guys and, hey, hold each other accountable. Let them know when someone's doing it wrong. That's, that's tough. If, if I knew the exact science of how to find them, then we'd have 35 of those guys. You know, unfortunately, we don't. I don't think anybody does. And the recruiting game has really, really sped up to the point where they, they kind of pump the brakes on us. We, you can't even talk to a, a recruit till his junior year in high school. But now you go from no talking at all to having to make a decision in a week. Either one is, is not good business. It's But when I started 20 years ago, was you spent all summer, you know, watching a kid play. Then you talk to him starting July 1st. And you talk to him for about two months, once a week. And then you bring him in on an official visit and, you you know, and you get to know him. And I can't tell you how many times we, we, we loved the kid. We brought him in. And after a day, day and a half into his you know, official visit, we're like, we're, we're not offering this guy. You know, and we ended up offering him the smallest scholarship, you know, scholarship possible. And they'd, they'd say no, turn it down and, and go somewhere else. But those opportunities, we don't have that opportunity anymore. And so you got to beat the other schools to the punch. And did they change it in hopes of protecting the kids, or what? Why did those change? We started having eighth graders committing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, eighth, ninth graders committing. You know, and 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 look, you make mistakes when you when you recruit an eighteen year old. Imagine recruiting a fourteen year old. You know, it was too fast, and it was again. You would see a kid pitch, and before you got to the car, you had five offers already. No one talked to him yet. Their first communication was, "Hey, I want to offer you a scholarship," and that was it. You know, you never got you never got a chance to know know the kid and his, his background, his personality, and, and makeup, which is the most important thing—the makeup and character, right? That's like the last thing. You know, just don't have the opportunity to figure that out. You know, so it's a challenge. It, it absolutely is a challenge. Um, and then, then you throw the portal in there. You got to re-recruit these guys every single year. Like we can sit here and complain about it all we want, but it's it's where college athletics is, and and either get with it or get out. You know, you have to sort of accept what's in front of you, right? Like like you said, like it's we can sit here and fight it all day long, or or we or, or we adapt, right? And adapt or die, essentially. What is the recruiting game like these days? Like, the, is it through the summer circuit, or it's I guess it's always been that way, right? Is it is, the majority? Is that... The majority of the summer circuit. Uh, you know, we're we're, we're lucky, right? We're in South Florida, got a lot of good baseball around, so. We'll get out, you know, Mondays is, is, is usually a, is our off day here on the field with the team. So it's a, it's a day that we get out and watch some games. Um, March 1st is the first day we're allowed out. Right now we're what they call a quiet period where you can, you know, you can call them, they can come on campus, but you can't go out and see them play or anything like that. Um, but March 1st, we'll start going out. We'll do the occasional midweek, you know, three o'clock high school game somewhere. But the majority of our evaluations and recruiting is, is done in the summertime. Just because of the efficiency of it, right? The amount of kids that you can see in one place. Well, you just, yeah, you, 
you go to one place and you got really too many kids. I mean, some of these tournaments are, are 500 teams. It's, I mean, like I said, there's aren't, there aren't that enough 17 year old good players to have 500 teams, but they're out there. No, there are for the people that run the teams. Yeah. Someone's, <laughs> someone's making the money on it. So right. believe me, I'm, li- I'm, li- I'm not in baseball, but I'm living that life in other sports. It, it's a thriving industry, JD. Listen, my daughter played volleyball, high school volleyball, and, and she, she played travel volleyball until she was about in 10th grade. And she, she, uh, she realized she was five. She's tall for a girl, but not tall for a, a middle blocker, right? She's about five, eight. I mean, she realized that Dad, I'm not playing in college. I have to play travel. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, no, no more travel. I can, but- by the way, I, 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 um, that's a whole, I mean, I ride that way with my kids. JD is, is, you know, I, sometimes I be, and I've been around, we talked briefly before this, but I've been around high school sports. I've been around the UM for a lot. So you see it firsthand. So I kind of know, but I'm always, I'm on a very, I push and then I pull back. I push and I pull back. Cause I got to remember it. it. It could be your daughter's story. Hell, I played high school basketball till 10th grade. Then I was done. And I always have to remind myself, like, there's a good chance this ends sooner than later. Let them be kids. Well, that's fact for for the majority of the population that play sports, right? I mean, it was a crazy stat. Just when it comes to baseball, you think of all these kids that are playing travel baseball. You can take every major league player in history that's played one game in the big leagues. They've been on the roster for one day, and you could fit them. It's only like, it's under twenty three thousand of them. You know, you could fit them in the. I think it's the left field, the bleacher, the section of uh, Cleveland Stadium. The uh, fit them all. The, every single player from from the first player in history to the last rookie called up last year. It's under 23,000 of them, you know, that gives you put some perspective into how hard it is to make it. And, and yes, the game ends for, for most earlier, sooner rather than later. That's all right. My kids got a three o'clock zoom today for before some flag football tournament tomorrow. So, and he rolled his eyes at me and I was like, what the coaches invent by, I could get now from this. I'm like, I was being ridiculous, but I'll, the way I looked at it was, Hey, your coach is investing time in you. Like you should accept that. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! Obviously, you've been coaching a long time. Now you're the head coach. And I want to kind of get into some of the influences that have helped shape you relative to your life and then also how you look at being in the head role. I guess I'll just start with your dad because what I read about him and read about you is that he was always the guy picking up all the kids and taking them around and making sure they had a place to go. Yeah, he was, he was you know, he coached all my teams growing up. But it was, you know, like you said, it's a Saturday morning. We had a nine o'clock practice. We'd leave at at six a.m. and I was pissed, man. I was like, "Why do you got to get up so early on a Saturday?" I mean, we're driving all over Miami picking up kids. And you grew up where? Westchester, so just off of Eighth Street and the Palmetto, right here, ten minutes down the road. But we'd drive to Hialeah and to North Miami and back to Kendall and this and that, and and we have practice. And then after practice, it was the drop off, right? So I want to get we want to get home until six o'clock or whatever. So my Saturdays are shot. And back then it was it was I didn't understand why, but now it's you know so grateful for that and then i'm sure a lot of people aren't still friends of mine till today and their moms still you know maybe they, they can't say enough things about my dad and how much he helped out and, and uh just gave him a chance right they were single moms that were working they had to work they had a couple of jobs and they couldn't get to practice if he didn't pick them up you know and, and then there's the others that he, he bought me a pair of shoes and he bought them a pair of shoes it was whatever whatever they needed and it's not that we came from a lot we had everything we needed you know everything we wanted but everything we needed we had but if he had it he'd, he'd give it to somebody you know he's, he's a special special man and lucky to him as a dad did his love of baseball fuel your love of baseball well he's cuban of course he's cuban of course he loved baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so he was at that, you know, he had his typical dad things, right? If uh, if we had a Wednesday night game when I was 10, 11 years old, like, you're not go to school. You got to rest. You got to get your sleep and, and you got a game tonight. So he was a little bit in, in that, you know, you, you're going to pitch in the big leagues and this is going to be, you know, at the same time. And he, he taught me so many lessons and, and how to be a, a good, good man. It's, it's uh, blessed. I'm very blessed. How does that shape you relative to how you interact with the kids on your team? I think I'm a, I'm a giving person. I'm a, I, I, I like to give my time and, and really get to know the player, right? One, one of the things when I, when I first started coaching in 03, I, you know, I, I was lucky to play for a great high school coach, Rich Hoffman, that had, I think he has the most wins in high school history here in Florida. But I remember him telling me, you know, you got to get the player to believe that you have their best interest. If you don't do that, you can't coach them. Um, and I think getting to know the player first and, and them understanding that you care about them as a person, not just a pitcher or a hitter or catch whatever the position they play. Um, is very important, you know, and that's where where the, the relationship comes into play. And and we spend a lot of time talking about other things rather than baseball, right? I mean, obviously we're on the field and you, you're talking baseball, but you're not on the field. We're in the airport or waiting for planes or the hotel lobby. We run into somebody. We talk about just life and, and how things are going and family and just check up on them, right? I mean, just, I like to call guys in sometimes and 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 not because they miss class or they were late to something. Is how you guys doing? How you doing? How's how things at home? Are your parents have that human genuine human interest in them? Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in Ten Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com. I'm going to say your dad found Alex Rodriguez, but is it? He was in a park one day and you guys were there practicing and called him over. And next thing you know, he's a part of the team or part of the kind of part of your extended family. Is, is am I in you're, the right? You're yeah, you're, you're pretty on. You did your homework. You did, you did your homework. So we um we used to practice at Everglades Elementary, which is maybe three, four blocks from my house. It was the elementary school that I, that I went to. And one day we were practicing. There was a kid kind of sitting on a tree watching us practice. I think we needed a catcher. My dad asked him, hey, can you can you catch? Yeah, I can catch. So we started catching. It starts to rain. We all started running to the car, to the cars, and, and he's running in the opposite direction. And he goes, no, no, come on. I'll give you a ride home. Where do you live? And he lived three blocks from us, like just in the other opposite direction from the school, but very close. And dropped him off. And the next day, he went by the house. He came to practice, you know, and, and just started practicing with us that year. He wasn't on the team. And the following season, he started playing with us. And that was it. And as, as the story goes, amongst a lot of the other kids, your dad kind of took him under his wing on the bus stop tour of, of kids he yeah. would pick up. Yeah, but he was, he, was a, he was a close stop. He was always the first stop. He was right down the street. <laughs> um, but, but he was one, you know, he probably took the most, I'm going to say most interest, but really became part of the family. And, and uh, you know, his mom worked a couple jobs. It, it, but, but that's before, like, the A-Rod people know, right? That's as a, you're saying it's an eight-year-old kid. Oh, we were, I'm trying to think, I think I was in... I don't know how old you are in fifth grade, but I was in fifth. He was, in, you know, we're, we're both in fifth grade. It's not, we're, we're young. His dad, shortly after we met, left them, left the family. So that's when the mom started working a couple of jobs. And so he spent, I mean, he spent the summers in my house. He's, 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 one, he's one of those guys that if I, everywhere, everything my dad bought me, it was like two of them, you know, the size 10 and the size nine, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> who, were, who had the 10? I had, the, I, was, I was, I think it was this size when I was 12. I was, I was fully grown at, at, at 12 years old already. I got some funny pictures of us together when we were kids, man. It's, I, I look, I look like A-Rod's dad. Oh, you look, oh, just now. Oh, I was, you, you, I was huge. I was huge. So you, so that's the other, well, I don't even, that's a whole nother tangent, right? About recruiting and scouting is just the whole uh, maturing process, right? Who goes first, who goes last, right? Late bloomers. They mature, they mature a lot quicker down here. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot quicker. This is not an A-Rod thing, but I just, you guys both played football at Westminster? 
both played football. Um, he was a quarterback. So he, so our freshman year, he went to Columbus. I went to Westminster. Fact about Alec, I, I, I tell everything. They don't believe me, but his best sport growing up was basketball. He was, I mean, unbelievable basketball player. So he goes to Columbus as a freshman. I'm at Westminster. That's the, the, the first year that we split up. And he played varsity basketball at Columbus, which at the time it was, it was I think, 4A was the highest, uh, you know, high school league. And it was 4A. Um, there was rarely was a freshman ever on the team, on a varsity team at, at that level. And he, he was a starting point guard. Back in those days, you know, Miami High was it in basketball. I mean, Shaky Rodriguez. So Shaky tried to recruit Alex to go to Miami High to play basketball. And Alex was going. He was going to, he was going to stop playing baseball. And he was going to Miami High to play basketball. And my dad said, absolutely not. You're, you're coming to Westminster. And you can play all the basketball you want at Westminster, but you're also playing baseball. And they came to Westminster. We played all three sports there together. Who was better football player? So I was a court. My sophomore year, I was a quarterback. I started the season as a quarterback. And I think, I'm pretty sure, I was the worst quarterback in Dade County. <laughs> I was awful. Um, the toughest thing I've ever done in sports is play quarterback. Those guys deserve every penny they get in the NFL. So I was bad for three games. I would throw an interception, and I would make some really good tackles when I went uh, my interception. I go back the other way, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so we had a rule in school that if you, if you didn't if you missed school or didn't were in school, you couldn't practice that day or play. So I, I missed school on a Tuesday or something, and, and I couldn't practice. So I went show up on Wednesday. The uh, some of the guys are, hey man, Alex is a pretty good quarterback. I'm like that's, that's great. I love it. I gave him my pads. And I got some bigger pads and a different different face mask. I went from quarterback to, to linebacker, defensive end, played defense, you know. Um, but he, he, was, he was a really good quarterback for, uh, for a couple of years there. When did you know he was going to be that that good at baseball? Like, when did that happen? Was that a high school thing or before high school? The summer before our senior year, he goes and plays for, I think, a, like a USA team. And I go and do some some college camps and stuff like that. So he kind of split up, and, and uh, I kept hearing about him and, you know, a Rod's gonna be a first round pick. I'm like, he ain't that good. I'm like, growing up with this guy, he's good, but he's not that good. <laughs> and uh, so we come back our senior year. We, you know, after a football practice in August, because hey man, let's go, let's go hit in the cages or something. So I say, yeah, let's go. So we start. We go to the cages, and the, the first time, you know, I, I flip him the ball, and he swings. I'm like, holy crap, what was that? And he's like, what do you mean? And again, and like, he, he made such a big jump from his junior to senior year. And again, he was always a great player, but he just made such a big jump. And I was like, okay, okay, maybe. He is a first rounder. And then now, were you guys caught up in all the all the hoopla back then? We were talking about recruiting now in summer camps, but back then, that's almost going back what thirty, only 30, 35 years. Was it? Would that attention come into Westminster Christian? Yeah, and, and I mean, he was again. I was a recruited walk. I didn't even get a scholarship. So no, I'm just saying, like whatever was surrounding him, were you guys sort of like caught up in the in the shrapnel of the uh, attention? The scouts, you know, there's some guys that actually benefited from it. I mean, like you said, we had a great you know high school program and high school team, but we had a we had a pitcher that really was. Not, no name to him, nothing, no expectations out of him. And you got to understand every game, every practice that we had, there were 60 scouts there. I mean, every team had two two guys there. And it wasn't just scouts, it was general managers, it was like the decision makers to see Alex. And we had our third, our, our pitcher, third baseman, his name was Dan Perkins. Every game he threw a little bit harder, a little bit harder and better and better. And he ends up being a second round pick. And if he's not with A-Rod, then those guys don't ever see him pitch. He doesn't get drafted as high as he does, you know? This is going to be extremely self-serving, J.D. So I actually, I think I played Little League with Dan Perkins. I'm not, but, the really? guy, but the guy the guy I wanted to ask you about, and this is totally for me and me only, the rest of the audience won't care, is Doug Mankiewicz. Yeah. Hey, Doug came over. Well, Dan, Dan and Doug both played at, at Palmetto. That's right. So I went, I, went, I went to Palmetto, and I grew up playing Howard Palmetto with them at Sunnyland and Chapman Field. The thing about Doug is that, so he was like two years younger than me, always played up and was always the best guy in the league. Like that was a guy we would say, we would say he was Will Clark and he was that good. He was. And he was, Doug was a professional hitter in high school. Like he was so advanced, you know, 
unbelievable. And, and again, both Dan and Doug transferred into Westminster, but Doug was a year older than us. He was class of 92. You know, me, Dan, and Alex were, were 93. Um, so Doug was only with us for one year. Um, but Doug lived right down the street uh, from Westminster on 136th Street there. And uh, How did we let him get to Florida State? You know, it's crazy. His mom is actually works for the university, and he would have gone for free here. He would have gone to Miami, was on tuition remission, come for free. And that's why he went to Florida State, because Florida State offered him a scholarship. And he wanted Miami to offer him a scholarship. And he didn't need one, right? He was already getting free. So why offer him a scholarship? And he chose Florida State. Is he still coaching? He's down. It's funny. I, I, he's living in the Keys full-time now. I, I run into him. He's down in Venetian Venetian ways down there. And um, his son was at, at Core Shores. He just transferred down to Key West High School. So he helps there. He's not coaching professionally anymore. He's been out, he's been out of that for about two or three years now. I gotcha. And then the last thing in terms of A-Rod, right? The story goes, sign, not sign. He's like on campus pulling, you know, negotiating tactics. So did you actually think he might join you? Was that, was there, was there any reality to that? Well, he, was, he was never on campus. That's a little fictional story to make it more interesting. But he did call me like at two in the morning or something and said, hey, man, because I was going to pick him up to go to school. We had 8 a.m. class together. And he said, hey, you know, don't pick me up. I'm, I'm, I'm signing. I'm like, man, I'm sleeping. And I just hung up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap! Just, I got to call him back. Hey, man, I'm sorry. That's good. Congratulations and whatnot. But yeah, he he, uh, he signed late. We into the wee hours of the morning. He that's when he, he signed. Imagine a bank that cares about you, one that sees their customers as part of a team with a common goal to achieve their dreams. Well, imagine that there is one. We're Amarant. We're ready to help you wherever you are in life, and just as importantly, wherever you want to go. Amarant. Official hometown bank of the University of Miami Hurricanes, member FDIC. So uh, we got your dad. We got Co you mentioned Coach Hoffman, and then what about Coach Morris? How he has helped shape you? Well, you know, Coach Morris came in after I did. Right, I was telling I was here before you because I came in as a freshman the fall of '93. Um, our head coach was Brad Kelly, and maybe a week into that school year, he, he resigned or forced to resign, whatever it was. So we didn't have a head coach till November, early November is when Coach Morris came in. Head coach to play for, kind of a player's coach, and, and, and even a better coach to coach for as well. Because he's, he's a guy that let me do my job. You know, obviously, he gave me the first opportunity, he gave me, you know, as a job. The, the first and only real job I've ever had has been here at the university as a coach. So I'm a, so lucky to, for that opportunity. But he gave it to me, you know, and, and it took some guts because he, he he gave me a role that, uh, a big role, a very important role. And I had zero experience. I mean, I I literally threw a bullpen in spring training on a, on a Sunday. He called me when I got to the car. I had a missed call from him. I called him back, and he offered me the job. Why did you give it up at that moment? I think I think I know I would have gotten to the big leagues, uh, but I wasn't going to make a career out of it, right? I'd be one of those guys that, that you see. You go to any park here in Miami on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, they're giving pitching lessons or hitting lessons, and, and that played a year or two in the big leagues, you know? And it's just, it's just an opportunity. It's a, it's a dream job, right? It's, it's I, give up a, I always said I give up a dream for a dream job and a job that I, that I know if I do it right, I'll be here for a very long time. And here I am 22 years later. You actually came at the season had started, right? We were eight or nine games into it, right? And you come in as the pitching coach. You have no experience, and you start on the literally on the fly. On the fly, I, I, I get here on a, I fly in on a Tuesday night. I come to practice Wednesday. We fly out to Tennessee on Thursday. We play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't, I don't know the signs. I'm trying to, I, I can't signal in the pitches to the to the catchers. So I got uh, Greg Lovelady, was our the volunteer coach at the time. I would tell him, hey, fast fastball away and he'd sign he'd, you know do the signs and signal to the catcher and that's the whole game went you know I, I didn't i didn't know anything and but love love would, would, would call, uh, signal in the pitches that i called from the dugout and i remember that first game it was like the sixth inning and and uh jd cockcroft was pitching and i told coach at the morning hey you know what do you think do we take him out and he goes, well, you're, you're the pitching coach and so he kind of that first day kind of you know hey when you 
your decision to make, you know. Of course, it was his decision, but it kind of threw a point to me that you're the pitching coach. You, you know, you tell me again. He gave me, he gave me the chance, and, and, and most importantly, he allowed me to do my job. He didn't micromanage. And I know my first year as a head coach, but I feel like I was a head coach of the, of the pitching staff for 21 years, man. So I, I learned a lot from him. If you were to look back at JD Ardiaga pitching coach year one or two, describe that guy versus the guy you know last year or the year before, right? In terms of how you how you learned to be the head coach of that room and what you thought it might be, right? I always ask people what you think it was going to be like being the pitching coach or any coach, right? A offensive coordinator, head coach, whatever it might be. Because as a player, you've interacted with coaches your whole life. So what you think it, you were going it was it was going to be what you think it would be important versus what you learned is important being in that role, and then maybe. How how that will shape you overseeing your staff. The most important thing, again, not, not, it's a it's a bigger sample size of more. We've got guys now, it's 35 guys, but as a pitching coach, it was about those 14, 15, 16 pitchers that I had. It's about getting to know them. You know, those, those first couple of years, I, I, I caught myself calling pitches that I would have thrown, right? I, I didn't throw 95. I had a really good change. So I would throw changes in a one-oh count, but then I'm calling a change for a guy that throws really hard and has no feel for a changeup. And I, I did it. Why can't you do it? You know? And so it, it, that, that was really when I, I, I really improved as a coach is when I understood it's, it's about those guys and, and getting to know them, what makes them successful and kind of calling a game for them and not for me. And what I think is the right pitch is the right pitch for that guy. Right. So now I got 35 guys that I have to coach in their own way. And, you know, you got maybe four or five guys that, that they have their way to, they, to coach and, and push and, and make better. And then some of the guys have a different, completely different way of, of getting motivated, you know. So it's it's my job. Also, it's it's our job to learn them and adapt to them in, in our roster. And, and that's, it's especially today, it's ever-changing, man. So every year we have to learn and, and, and adapt to them. You said something interesting there because I do think it's um, just having been around sports a while. It's the interesting dynamic of kind of what you believe in as a coach versus what your players can do and finding finding that middle ground of what really works for them, right? Because a lot of coaches will say like, well, I can do it. Why can't you do it? But at the end of the day, if they can't do it as a coach, I always feel like, well, then you got to figure out what they can do and maximize that and kind of get out of your way to let allow them to prosper. Yeah. You know, the best coaches and in any sport, right, are those co- those coaches that were not talented as players. I think they were good or bad players, just they weren't very talented and had to figure out how to succeed and, and, and in our game, get people out or hit the balls, get on, but whatever it might be. Those naturally gifted athletes, they usually aren't very good coaches because they've never had to do that. They just, they just did it. You know, and it, why can't you hit the ball 500 feet? You know, just do this. Like, you know, I, I remember my first pitching coach in pro ball was Bob Stanley. The pitcher? The pitcher, Bob Stanley, was my first pitching coach for the Mets and, and his mound visits were, were the same. He, Hey man, just sink it in there. Just sink it in there. <laughs> like Bob, you got something else for me, man. I I I can't do what you did. I don't throw the, you know. But that was for him. That's all he did, you know. And he, he was so gifted, you know, talent wise that that he didn't have to think about it. And those guys that succeed in a, in a sport and aren't talented at it. Those are usually the best coaches that they can teach the game in so many different ways. The dynamic between you and your pitching coach, Laz Gutierrez, what Coach Morris allowed you to do in terms of that delegation, people always say delegate. It's easier said, in my opinion, it's easier said than done. How, how have you guys talked through that? It, it, it's it's easy for me to delegate the hitting side of it, right? I mean, that, I, hey, Darren, go, you know, do your thing. The pitching side, I, I think I've done a good job of it. I've made it actually a point to stay away from the guys because early in the fall when they're throwing bullpens and I, I walk by, I can see, you know, the Gage Zeals and Rafe Lesson just kind of looking at me like, hey, what do you think? And that's your pitching coach, you know, ask, ask him. But no, look, we, we talk, I talk to Laz every day about pitching. And, and, and the reason I, I, Laz was so high on my list is because we had the same, you know, ideas and, and visions about pitching and same, same vocabulary, same language. So, yeah, we both learned here. 
from from Laser Cleazo, and and he's he's got that pitching background. And, and over the years, we've we've bounced things back and forth off each other, and and so our, our, not much has changed. But still, I'll I'll sneak over, hate to throw a curveball here, or you know, call a pitch or something like that. So I got to let him do his job. If, if I don't, then I didn't hire the right guy. You know, and, and he's really good at it, and I feel really comfortable. I, I love my staff. I mean, everybody that I've hired, I think I, I did a great job with that. So I got to pat myself on the back with that one. <laughs> I, was saying, I, I need all the help I can get, man. So I, I, I uh, surround myself with some great, great coaches. So. Did you enjoy that part of the process? Absolutely not. No. No, no. It's, 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 again, I know just like, you know, the players is, is can't be successful without the players. And as a head coach, you can't be successful without, you know, assistant coaches, you know. Uh, there's no way. Okay, you take the best head coaches. I guarantee you, they got a, a great staff around them that really allow them to be great. You know, so I, I know how important of a decision those were. And, and going from Laz to Darren to you know Rob Cooper, well, head coaching experience, and Jonathan Anderson, and you know, and then Brewer. I mean, these guys—they're just. I feel really good about the staff that we have. I'm John Davis, Secretary of the Florida Lottery, and I'm proud to lead an agency that is creating brighter futures for Florida students, families, and communities. As the primary funding source of the Bright Future Scholarship Program, the lottery has helped nearly one million students reach their dream of a post-secondary education. And we will continue to do our part to ensure that every student across this state is aware of these opportunities and has the resources needed to succeed. Because together, we can build a brighter future for all. Where are we on like pitch count these days? Like the all all of the measurables that go around how you manage pitchers. What are you guys, yours and Laz's collective philosophy on where that's gone? Throughout the course of the season, it's it's one of those things that you know you kind of you, you really monitor. Usually, that hundred is that magic number, right? It, it's not like you throw pitch one hundred and one, your arm's going to fall off. But if you you know throw one hundred and twenty pitches over twelve, you know every week for twelve weeks, you're kind of asking for trouble. You know, so I think that philosophy kind of stays the same as far as for starting pitchers. It's it's probably not starting an inning after 100 pitches. So maybe you throw 97 pitches through seven, you're not going to throw the eighth. It's, but we had 92, and you might start the, the eighth inning and you finish that inning at, at 105, 106. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in the bullpen, it's it's the challenging thing about the bullpen is a lot of these kids they're all starters coming up. You know, when they're in high school, so they don't know. How to, how to pitch out of the bullpen. They don't know how to throw back-to-back days. So with as young as our bullpen is this this season, especially, we got to just kind of play by ear every day and, hey, how do you feel? And them understanding you're only going to feel good the first day of practice. After that, your arms are always going to be sore. So well, I'm a little <laughs> sore they, here. They say that. They say that about the football guys say that too. The only, there's, there's only one day you feel healthy. Every other day you're dealing with something. Something going on. is never going to be 100%. We talked about adapting and growing, changing, you know, investing in the program. You mentioned the analytics at the beginning. But how – I have, I had the sports science, the head of sports science for the football team on, and I find that that world very interesting because of the information you can you can garner and just even what they're measuring and how they're measuring it. And I I actually find it legitimately fascinating. You've been able to invest in that as well, and I imagine some of the pitch count stuff and 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 other things, right? You will be able to discern better having having the resources in that area as well. Yeah, and so Brock McMichael, he's he's our sports scientist, and um, he plays a big role in, in how guys are recovering. And when it comes to pitch counts, that's really the the, the goal, right? Is, is is are they ready to throw 100 pitches next week? And if, if Gage Zeal throws whatever he throws on Friday, and then he goes in for testing with Brock on on Sunday, and he'll come back, hey, he's he's not recovered as much as he should. So we'll, we'll make adjustments throughout that week, maybe limit some of his throws there. And given that there's the opportunity to, to recover and ready to go again on Friday. So a lot of that stuff is, is injury prevention and he plays a really, really big role in that. And then working, you know, he's kind of like the middleman between the analytics team, the strength coach, the coaching staff, and his biggest role is just trying to prevent injuries as much as possible. 
change the trajectory of your career, or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. Back to that story with Coach Morris real quick. So you get the call from him. You're you're in, in the minors. You're in pro camp. You're in the minors. And a big thing for you has been being in Miami, like being in this city. You If, if you didn't take the job, you had any idea what you might have been doing? I, I guess you would have pursued baseball as long as it took you, right? Would you have st- tried to stay in the game? Probably. Um, you know, baseball is something I, 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 just, I love it. It's, it's, it's natural to me. It's, it's I'm not going to say easy, but it's. You know, I, I see it in a different way than, than other people, I guess. I, I just get it. So, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would have hoped to still been in the game in some, in some way, shape. And have you ever considered leaving? Like in the 21 years as an assistant, most people, I imagine, as assistants ultimately want to run a program. Was that ever a consideration? For me, no. For my wife, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I say just because, I mean, it's, look, it's very demanding. And, and the sacrifice that she's had to make and my kids had to make, I wasn't home. I mean. We're talking about these the summers, those two months of you know June, July, and some of August. I might have been home ten days in, in those two months in the summertime, you know. So for her, it was yeah, like, go find something else so you know so you can be home every day and and nine to five or whatnot. But I would not be happy doing anything else. The fact that it's here in Miami, it's it's, it's icing on the cake. But if it's not here, it'd be, it'd be somewhere else. I think it's I, I wouldn't be happy without it. Did you get the itch to be a head coach? Like over time. You could say, I never want to leave. And then it's like, man, I really want to give this a shot. Who knows when or if this uh, opportunity would afford me. Did you, Was that ever a consideration for you to maybe reconcile living in Miami versus, you know, achieving a potential dream? Yes, uh, but I didn't want to go to the, a mid-major site, let's say, you know. Um, so there were opportunities, especially in the state, you know, Orlando, UCF and, and South Florida opened up a couple of times. You know, when I was the, the pitching coach, FIU opened up a couple of times. It was offered the job at FIU two summers or last summer, turned it down. So I would have gone to a big program, right? My, my mind is it's Miami. I'll, I'll go to LSU or, you know, USC, uh, whatever, big school. But to go to mid-major, that never interested me, right? So that opportunity never came up. It, it, those, those type of schools usually don't hire assistant coaches. Unless, you know, in this case, they hire from within. So it worked out. So there's one coach, you know, one, I can't believe I got like 50 minutes through this. There's one coach I haven't mentioned, which is your best friend, Mr. Alex Cora. Now, I, I, the way the story goes, he wanted to leave his freshman year. Well, he left. Did he claim he was? No, he claimed something was wrong with his mom and he had to go home. And you sniffed that out? It, it, it's No, I didn't, actually. I was so naive to it. I was, again, I'm, you need something, I'm here for you. You know, that's, that's, But you I'm didn't know you, He's a freshman, right? You didn't know him prior. Well, we're, yeah, we're both freshmen. Two weeks into our, our, our fall semester. And he goes, hey, can you give me a ride to the airport? You know, my mom, I guess my mom's sick, this and that. I said, let's go. Come on. And he grabs all his clothes in two huge big suitcases i'm like what are you doing because i'm gonna do laundry while i'm there like, okay <laughs> i'm like all right let me help you with that you know and i was just i, I took him we went from the car and dropped off the airport and it's funny we actually i was in boston a couple of weeks ago and we spoke at a, at a thing up there me and him together and, and he mentioned that story how you know it wasn't for me and this and that and, and bringing it back and i said well it's funny alex because had you not come back my baseball career would have been over that same day because when i when i got back to campus you know i came i came to workouts and the coaches immediately grabbed me and said, where's, where's Alex? I'm like, well, I just dropped him off from the airport. His mom's sick and he's going to go see his mom. 
And they were like, well, he's not, she's not sick. He's, he's gone. He's, he went home. He's homesick. He's not coming back. Had he not come back, I think they would have cut me for sure. Like, get out of here. <laughs> you know? but thank God Joey Cora calls Alex and said, get your butt back over there and, and get back to school. And Did stuff. he actually make it to Puerto Rico? Oh, yeah. No, he was, he was gone for a few days. And Joey Cora, his older brother, that was with the White Sox at the time, you know, he played at Vanderbilt. Well, the first round pick out of Vanderbilt, he got he got he got him on the phone and and, and Joey's like his dad. Alex lost his dad at a young age, so Joey is the dad basically. And you get your stuff and get your butt back to Miami. You go you go to school. What kind of advice has he offered you? You know what? We we just talk a lot about similar you know ideas and, and views and 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 how the the person is is more important in the game and, and, and the ability to do things. And, and he was he was telling me how he's got you know you think he's big leaguers, they're grown men and and making millions of dollars, and he's got their parents thanking Alex for taking care of their kids. You know, it's kind of the same whether in college or high school or little league or even in the big leagues, man. It, it's the same thing. You, you, you're taking care of someone's kids and you got to be there for them as, as, as the person first and then, then coach them up after. A couple of things, J.D., and I'll let you go. I know you have somewhere to be, which would be, uh, you mentioned that Alex lost his dad. I know you lost your dad and you lost your dad in a, I don't know if the right word would be here, supremely tragic way. I mean, the, he was literally watching you play a football game when he passed. Yeah, so it was my sophomore year. It was our first game of the season, and he was in the stands. Yeah, and it, and, and our school is very like it was it was a two-way two school. So our, our, it's a I small our right. Football, yeah, I mean, I've seen. I've been to. The, I've been to the school. It's it's a set of bleachers and a foot and a, and a hundred yards of grass in the back. Yeah, no, they say he collapsed like you know during the first half, and they told me at halftime, and and you didn't. Was, so you didn't know during the I game. Did not you, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I was, I was into the game. I never. I didn't. I never turned around, and looked in the stands or anything. That's that's um. I don't even. You've dealt with a Jade. I'm just saying you've 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 had to deal with a lot. We know about your son. Your mental strength is, or your emotional strength is, is something to be uh, applauded. Unfortunately, in 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 those two ways, with those two incidents. Well, it's something I've had. You know, people say I, I can't imagine what you're going through, and I say you can because it's, it's yes, it's the worst thing that's happened to me and my family. But your worst thing is the same as my worst thing, right? Whether it's when you're well, 13, I lost my dad. I just didn't lose. I didn't lose him like that. Yeah. But I think you think about when you're 13 and, and, and the first the first girl that, that that dumps you and breaks away, you think it's the, the worst thing in the world, right? So at that point, that is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. It's the same feeling, you know. It's it's I can't compare my my hardship to anybody else's. It's it's hardship is hardship, and, and everyone's got their own things to deal with. And life doesn't slow down; it moves, it keeps moving, man. Yeah, no, I, it's, I, but that's a, little, that's a little easier said than done, too. It's been the alternative is not a good one, so. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I will say this. You're, uh, what you've done with the foundation is incredible. My, um, my kids, have, they haven't played in the tournament, but my kids have played both flag football at KGB. And my son played tackle there at KGB. So it's hard not to see the foundation, not to see your son. I've heard about the, I heard this year the tournament was off the charts. I don't know how. I think there were like 100 teams out there. I know people that played was, out there. It was 135 teams. It was too, too many. It was a, we had to make it a two-day event. And uh we're going back to one day to next year. How did the Be the Life Foundation become the thing to, to honor Ari? Maybe a month before the accident, yeah, it changed. And, and again, you, you, maybe your son could help me with it. But whatever the like in the Instagram, like and you know, on your name is his tag. Oh, the hand in the handle. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, he 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 took whatever he had on there before. He took it off and he just put Be the Life. That was it. You know, and then then he passed away, and then we decided right away, pretty maybe a day or two into it, we wanted to start a foundation and. Really, like so many people played a role in my life and, and helped me out, right? Just like my dad helped out a lot of people. And then when he passed away, a lot of people helped me out. And we wanted to do that for, for some kids, you know? And, and so we knew we wanted to do a foundation. We wanted to help kids, you know, in, in high school and then help pay for, for school and get the opportunities that I, that I had. And it was just natural to name it Be the Light because of his handle there. 
Does it, uh, obviously, you would probably do anything uh, without, I'm a dad, you do anything to have him by your side right now, tonight, tomorrow, the rest of time, et cetera. But I think Alex talked about this briefly when he passed. I know he had honored him with, with the initials on his cap, but you seem to be pretty grounded as is, but does it help give you a little bit of perspective just being in the intensity of the sport? I know your desire is to win it all. It's a super competitive place to be, but does it shed a little perspective on what's really important that you have this foundation by your side? Yeah, look, you, you can't have blind spots, man. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have, you know, three hundred sixty degree view of everything that's going on around you, and and it, it can't be a tunnel vision. It's got to be balanced in life. Um, and and I, I I know you can be successful as a coach or as a doctor, as a lawyer, whatever you're doing, and still be a good father, a good husband, a good friend, whatever it is. You gotta have balance, and you gotta have three hundred sixty degree view of everything that's going on around you. No blind spots. You gotta to you know nurture and take care of everything around you. All right, J.D., I appreciate it. I know you got somewhere to be. I know it's alumni weekend. There's a lot of stuff going on. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I got to get out to the park and, and, and see. I've said, like, we've each been around you. Well, you've been around UM forever. I've been around you ever, and this is our first time really interacting, so I apologize for that. But thank you for doing this. You know we're behind you and uh, looking for great things under your uh, guidance here for the University of Miami. Thank you, Josh. Look forward to seeing you out here someday, man. Come by soon.